Welcome to the NSCHBC EDGE podcast, leading the way in the business of medicine. Now here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the NSCHBC EDGE podcast. I'm your host, Terry Fletcher. The EDGE podcast is brought to you today by the National Society of Certified Healthcare Business Consultants. Our goal is to discuss healthy business principles, have conversations on the business side of medicine, so that you and your practice can thrive, be profitable, and successful for years to come. Today, our topic answers the question, when should I hire a healthcare consultant? Have you sprung a leak in your revenue cycle management? Do you renegotiate or even review your insurance contract language on a regular basis? What about explanation of benefits review? You may have payment posters in your practice, but who in your practice is making the decision to appeal or write off denials or even work those denials? Have you checked in on your ENM documentation and coding with the new 2021 rules for office visits? And if you're a primary care practice, are you utilizing your NPPs by adding value-added services like the annual well visit or chronic care management? As the healthcare consultants and members of the NACHBC, we see more money left on the table by practices, and with fee schedules lessening and reimbursements declining, how are you assessing the financial health of your practice? Tackling these topics and more with me today is returning podcast guest, David Zetter of Zetter Healthcare and current president of the NSCHBC. David brings over 30 years of operational and healthcare experience, along with expertise in all areas of practice and facility management, including startups, buy-ins, compensation, exit strategies, reimbursement enhancement, practice financial modeling, policies and procedures, credentialing and contracting, HR management, compliance, chart reviews, and more. I couldn't list everything that David does because he is just the end all out there. David, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Terry. It's great fun to be here. So David, in answering that question that you and I get often, when should I hire a healthcare consultant and why, let's talk about what physicians and practice administrators should be looking for or thinking about when considering bringing in an outside or external consultant like us to help assess issues and determine where to start. So I have a couple of conversational questions. I just want to kind of get the ball rolling and see uh, where you're at with this and see if we can really just give them some insight. Sure. So for our podcast listeners, you should know one of the things that is tough as a consultant is to really have, and we call it stay in your lane. Should you stay in your lane? Should you expand? What should you do? Well, certain depends on your team and who you have uh, working for you and, and what you're doing. And for example, for contract negotiation, my go-to guy is David. <laughs> I offer it on a limited basis to some clients, but when I get an inquiry from a new physician or a practice that's been in business for years regarding contract negotiation help, I would absolutely refer them to David Setter. So David, how would you recommend that practices know when they need an outside consultant like yourself or like myself and just really understanding that from that perspective let's talk first about contract negotiation why should they keep it in house or find somebody else sure sure so really contract negotiations is all about knowing your practice knowing the competition for your practice and knowing what hopefully knowing what the payers know about your practice because payers know an awful lot about your practice much more than most often the owners do. Um, and when you're trying to negotiate contracts, what you want to do is determine what your leverage is with the payers. Everybody thinks that you can just go back to an insurance company and say, hey, I want to get paid more because you guys have lowered my reimbursement for years 
and um, just, you know, what you're paying me isn't fair. Well, that's fine and dandy, but if that's all you're going to go to uh, a payer with in order to determine whether you're going to be able to negotiate or not, you're going to be walking away a sore loser because they're not going to hand you any more money. So you really need to determine what that leverage is. And it's really about doing the due diligence and the analysis and the assessment on everything that's transpired with each payer, compare each payer, know exactly what your uh, practice is and how it competes with all the local competitors and what you do differently and better than anybody else. And you need to know this because you need to communicate it to a payer. So if you don't know how to go about doing this, you need an expert to really take care of this and be able to achieve success. There is no guarantee in contract negotiations. We never know what we're gonna be able to gain as far as leverage is concerned until we've really conducted that due diligence and determine what areas we can go to with that payer to have a discussion and determine what we're gonna be able to do to come up with a win-win situation. Anything less than that will not work. And if you get that win-win situation, then most likely you're gonna get an increase in your contract. And it also depends on what other things you're negotiating. You've got contract language you can negotiate. So for instance, cash flow is a big concern for practices. Getting paid in 60 days isn't as good as getting paid in 45 days or less. What about requirements for prior offs, hard edits with modifiers, things like that? All of those things cause literally destruction for a private practice. And if you can, try to negotiate that language out of your contract. And it is possible. You just have to pick and choose the important things that you want the most. And I appreciate that. And, and you know, you brought up a really good topic or a good um, point here when it comes to the negotiation. I think a lot of, and I'll put it out to our listeners, a lot of people think that contract negotiations when within the insurance company is all about fee schedules. That's part of it. I mean, we have to look at one of the things I was talking to a client recently about is that their contract had no public health emergency provision. You know, will they allow for telehealth? What will they allow for out of pocket and share of cost? And as we saw, a lot of everybody, especially the commercial plans, were all over the place. Nobody was consistent. So, you know, a, a PHE could happen again and having that written into the contract as a potential, you know, problem. Uh, telehealth is, is that part of the contract and does that change uh, each year and do they, are they allowed to change language without you signing off on it? and uh, risk, you know, risk adjusted claims as well. So I think you brought up uh, not just the time limits, but it's not just about the fee schedules. You'd agree, right? Oh, absolutely. It's never just about fee schedules. I mean, some of my clients have such big issues with some of the payers that we don't even go in and negotiate a fee schedule. We go in and negotiate changes to the contract. Uh, that's a rare occurrence Especially, you know, you're only going to have that type of situation when somebody's been working on their contracts uh, or at least the reimbursement piece of it, or if they're happy with their reimbursement. Uh, and there are people that are happy with the reimbursement, um, but there's language in contracts that can be detrimental to a private practice. So you want to fix that if at all possible. 
I agree. And the other thing as far as, you know, answering that question, should you hire an outside consultant that has experience in this is one of the things that I think David and I ran up against in the last week or so with, with a potential client was the fact that I think were they an ACO or an MCO and they were managing practices that were all over the country. And so there was an issue with, you know, having, um, knowledge or expertise in different contracts around the country in different locations. It wasn't just about their state. Oh, absolutely. The contracts are different in every state. They can be different with a different contract manager. So for instance, we've got clients in California and looking at California, you can have a payer that covers the entire state, but you'll have different contract managers in charge of different regions. They have a different book of business. They have different requirements. They have different needs. And they're going to base their decisions based on the needs of their book of business and the need of the network in their area or region. So that's why things can be different. We get questions all the time, even for getting in network with payers. Hey, how easy is it to get in network with, you know, uh, the payers in California. Well, that's a loaded question. Where are you located and what payers are we talking about? Um, at any point in time, somebody can close their network or open their network and you have no idea what, what the rhyme or reason is for doing that uh, until you have a conversation with the payer. I agree. And we actually had a payer that we had to negotiate for, for a uh, female practice, a women's health practice, where we actually found that they were, there was a payment parity issue where they were paying um, male physicians more than female physicians. I had never seen that. I didn't even realize that was happening. Yeah, that's happening. I was really surprised. And we had to go in and, and renegotiate that. And when we figured it out, I actually think the contract person we were talking to, they brought legal in. We were like, oh, I'm, I'm sure you are bringing legal in at this point. But uh, it was it was pretty interesting when I was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, it was almost per line item um, about a 15% difference. So Yeah, was, and the challenge there is, is that, you know, contracts are not – they're proprietary. They're confidential. Um, you're not supposed to know about somebody else's contract. So using that kind of information now to go back to a payer – now you've got issues, potential issues with antitrust issues, uh, you know, sharing of contract information, reimbursement, language, all of that is a no-no. And that is flat out a breach of contract written in every one of those payer contracts. Right. So that can be a challenge. So knowing information about other contracts is great, but you have to be very careful if you intend to try to utilize that information in your either negotiation process or even in obtaining a contract because you can't bring that kind of information up. I agree. And they, so to our listeners and anyone who's really looking for, you know, trying to determine if they should hire somebody outside, you know, really look at the consultants at the NSCHBC. You know, we've done our homework. We make sure that we have the, that expertise and those contacts. That's a really important thing. Those contacts within those payer policies and within those payer companies uh, to make sure that we can at least do our best job to negotiate. David's right. There's no guarantees in negotiation. And I've seen physicians get pretty hot trying to take it on on their own. And uh, you really need some backup there. So we hope you really look into that. So one of the things that has come up um, in, in practices when it comes to practice audits like E&M or procedural, 
What are your thoughts on how to encourage providers not only to engage an outside firm for this, but what to look for uh, with, you know, expertise uh, and, and really how audit should be part of an ongoing compliance plan, not really a one and done. And the, the reason I bring up as far, far as why to uh, go from an outside um, or to find a consultant that actually can um, assess, not just have it in-house, is because I've noticed when internal audits are done, the staff and this, I'm not saying this as a, as a blanket statement, I'm just saying this as a generality that, I, that I've seen, you know, they're concerned about their job and they don't want to upset the, the flow <laughs> or upset anybody that if they give them a negative response to what they did internally audit. It's a good place to start, but I believe it's really important to, to really look for that expertise outside and, and try to um, engage someone that, that has that expertise. Can you comment on that? Well, um, let me make a general comment. You know, when you're talking about obtaining uh, assistance in your private practice, here's the key. If you're not an expert in the topic or area that you want to work on in your practice, so here you are working on your practice versus working in your practice. And if you aren't an expert at whatever it is that you want to accomplish. So let's just talk about you know, your audits, for instance, in that situation, have you been trained as a certified coder and auditor that you know everything and all the rules, you know exactly what the payers are looking for? Um, in most cases, you don't. And the problem is, is that what I communicate to all clients is the successful practices are those that recognize they are not an expert and knowledge, uh, have knowledge about everything. So they surround themselves with those experts in order to ensure their success. Now, yes, I'm, I'm all about the person thinking about you've got to spend money to make money, but you've got to spend it intelligently, properly, and smartly. And that way you make sure that you're hiring an expert. So you have to vet that person to verify they're an expert. People listen to consultants all the time speak. And they speak many things, and most often, it's a lot of opinions. But which consultant is providing you citations, documentation, supporting documentation that justifies what they're communicating to you so it's no longer an opinion? It is actual fact, and somebody can actually provide you citations and supporting documentation to tell you it is this way because this is either the law, the regulation, whatever the case may be, or they can provide you expertise to help convince you that they know what they're doing. So it's all about getting those people that really know what they're doing. You know, you talk about audits. Most of my clients that come to us when they want an audit in the past has always been, they've already submitted the information to the payer and then they find out now they're in trouble because they either submitted too much information and now they have more issues or they didn't submit the information that was requested that's going to support the services that they build. And now they're having to return money. And then they come to us and want a, you know, a third party review done to try and fight the decision that the payer made. And at that point, it's really it's not too late, but it's much more difficult to fight that decision versus being at the forefront of the whole process and doing your due diligence even before you send the documentation to the payer. You should know what the payer is going to learn about your documentation before you send the documentation to the payer. 
If you're learning about it from the payer, that is the wrong process. I agree. Yeah, that's that's absolutely the wrong process because now they're looking for something. That yes. was, can, I had something happen to me in the last, oh, I think it happened last week and it's still, I think it scarred me for life. I had a consultant call me. So, well, he, he called himself a consultant to engage my services for my cardiology expertise because he just signed a new client and told them all the money they were he was going to make them. He has no staff, he has no expertise in the cardiology specialty, but he basically told the providers that they have terrible staff and that their coders don't know what they're doing. And basically all he needs to do is uh, train them for a couple of hours and they know how to code for cardiology and that they're not making enough money. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he basically made it sound like coding and billing and reimbursement and the revenue cycle management was just, you know, a piece of cake that anybody can do. And there really aren't any nuances to it and that uh, he's going to make them rich. And I was like, wow. And so I, I said, but you don't have any cardiology experience. He goes, well, they only do about 10, you know, services. So it's really not that big a deal. And I said, well, are they cath physicians? Are they interventionalists? Do they do peripheral vascular you know, are they putting in pacemakers? And I started to make a list and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I kept getting that response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I wanted to know what the practice was so I could go call them and warn them. But <laughs> it, it was, it was actually just kind of frightening to me because somebody out there engaged this person to basically, I guess, cause he told them that, you know, pie in the sky money could be made instead of like you said, do your due diligence, you know, figure out when you are going to, and I'm, I'm you know, re responding to listeners here, when you're thinking about really get engaging in an outside consultant, make sure that you research them, you know, find their website, find the, you know, people that are giving the uh, testimonials about them. I know David and I have hundreds of them. Just making sure that you have that trust, get references if you need them. Um, you know, really find out. I know you and I are all referral. We don't even advertise. So it's, it's just something that is a little bit scary to me. And I worry sometimes that uh, providers aren't, aren't engaging the right people. And I get, I get concerned for them. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll give you another quick example. It's uh, I've have many questions from clients all the time about uh, starting up their practice. And then I ask them, okay, are you going to hire in-house billing or are you going to hire a billing company? And even in that situation, they say, well, they're going to hire somebody or even hire a billing company. I said, and how, who's going to do the interviewing to vet that company or vet those staff? And they say, well, I will. And I say, okay, help me understand what you know about billing. Um, how do you know what level of CPT code to bill? How do you verify that's correct? Um, how do you set up EDI enrollment? What clearinghouse are you going to use? What's a trading partner ID? You start talking about all this stuff and they start realizing they don't know anything about billing. So how are you going to choose a good biller when you don't know the process? Exactly. You don't know the metrics to ask about what metrics are important for a good biller to show success. Um, if you don't know that information, how are you going to know that the answers being provided to you are even accurate? So if you don't have that expertise, you can't hire somebody with that expertise and you can't validate or even evaluate whether they're doing their job correctly. So think about that in any decision you're making. And if you don't have that knowledge or you have a portion of it, be serious with yourself and honest with yourself and knowing that chances are you're going to fail at this because you don't have the expertise. 
Right. I agree. And make sure that you are doing your due diligence when you are picking any of the, not just a consultant, but just like David said, you know, looking into billing um, services, looking into any kind of uh, outsourcing at all. So I want to pivot a little bit. So most physicians, they seem to get a lot of advice from webinars, conferences, and yes, other consultants, their associations on what they need to do to be successful. But I noticed that they don't really get the direction on how to make it happen or start the process. They get fired up by attending conferences, and then they go back to their practices, treating patients, and the process really never starts for them. And then, you know, one month, two months, three months. What is your recommendation to really just you know, start the process of looking at your practice just for, for that financial well-being. For an example, um, let's say that they, they're they looking at their, um, let's say their money and they're looking at their reimbursement and all of a sudden they noticed a decline in their deposits. So where, what would they look at to start there? How would they just make, you know, at least an impact to, to start somewhere? Well, you know, there's many areas that you can look at. You can look at your systems and processes and the flow of that process. So, you know, when you're talking about revenue, uh, revenue cycle management, uh, which is, you know, the billing process and everything else that's entailed, revenue cycle management starts when you set up your organization or your practice. And then you start dealing with that when you communicate with insurance companies, you set up the credentialing and the contracting. That's where it all starts. Because if that's not done properly, then nothing else is going to flow properly. So when you start noticing that your deposits uh, are all of a sudden lower, then you really need to analyze, you look at the historical trends on what your deposits have been. Now you're going to notice that it's lower. Then start looking at your productivity reports. You can do a full-blown full revenue cycle assessment where you can, you know, a lot of times when we do this, uh, we go in and do a data dive. We do a data dump of all the claims data for a certain period of time, and we start evaluating every one of those claims. We can see what the allowable was. We can see whether they collected the copay. We can see whether somebody posted payments. We can see whether it was denied and whether anybody worked on it and when they worked on it. So you can even see when the claim came back as denied, how long it took them to work on it and then resubmit it. And then you can also see, even from EOBs, whether they submitted a claim that was a duplicate that was already denied and they're just denying it again. So there are many things to look at, many reports, many people to speak to, many uh, pieces of software to go through to evaluate things. It really depends on what the question is and understanding how the process works so that you can go back at the very beginning and track it through the entire process, that claim or that set of deposits. So, you know, you mentioned deposits. Does it match the productivity reports coming out of your PM system, your practice management system for that month? Are you doing a reconciliation each month to verify that all your deposits match the productivity reports? If they don't, something's wrong. And it's funny because you say that, and I've been to so many different practices when we do an assessment, and they look at me like, what's a productivity report? <laughs> I have some practices that are like, I don't even know how to run that. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> That's what tells you whether that provider's making you money or they're a cost center. Exactly. And no one wants a cost center in their practice. Exactly. Well, it was interesting because I was uh, doing a, an assessment for a practice where the physician decided to break out of a very large group of 40 physicians and go out on his own. 
And he said, so can you look and see what's going on? Because I just figured I'd make a lot more money than this. So what we found out was that certain line items were automatically being written off by the payment poster. And so when I questioned that, I said, why are you writing this off? And you've probably heard this phrase. Well, that's what we've always done. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, no. So um, that's a, and for the listeners, you know, listening to the podcast. If you ever hear that, that should make the hair in the back of your neck stand up. You should never hear something like that. Or they said, well, that's what we were told. Well, who told you that? You know, give, give me a reference, a resource so we can go find them. But um, you really want to have somebody that, first of all, is looking at EOBs that has that expertise on line item posting. Do, you know, when you're, for example, I'll just bring up cardiology. If you've got a heart cath and you've got an intervention, plus now you've got moderate sedation, are the right modifiers there? Are, you know, was it diagnostic that led to the intervention? Um, you know, is that particular payer paying for moderate sedation? And here's one thing that happened recently that the physician's like, I didn't even think of that. So there's a payer said that they decided they weren't going to pay for moderate sedation, which is really only a, a $12 payment. But okay, you have that many people that are getting it. You know, you're making it up in bulk. I don't want to lose $12. But the payer basically said, uh, started denying all of it. Well, I said, well, you know, this was uh, carved out of the heart cath, so you should be getting this paid. And they were writing all of it off, just thinking it wasn't going to get paid. Well, we went back and looked prior to that new code. I said, let's look at past or before 2017. How much were you getting paid for a heart cath? Okay, so you're getting paid 285. Now we looked after 2017 and found that they're now only getting 235. They basically lowered their fee because they knew they were going to spend or they were going to get paid extra for the moderate sedation on a separate code. And that's how we went in and fought it. And we went back and collected over $180,000. And so you can't look at it as $12. You have to look at it as cumulative. What are you missing? And don't let the payers dictate you know, your policy when, or you dictate how they're going to reimburse you when uh, they're acting in bad faith. So absolutely. Just making sure you know what you're looking at. But in saying that, so that brings us back to our question, you know, hiring a healthcare consultant, you need to find that person and that expertise, you know, um, I, and I'm not just saying that David and I know this, but a lot of different uh, consultants within the NICHBC have this expertise as far as we can look at an EOB and know what's wrong with it. We can look at a report and, I mean, pick it out within five minutes. And that's what you're looking for. Somebody that can basically look at it and go, okay, now I know where we're starting and have a starting point. So both of us have over 30 years experience in what we do. And that's what you're looking for. Somebody with that expertise, uh, especially if it's a specialty situation you're looking at. Um, one of the things I, I brought up at the beginning of the podcast was adding value added services. You know, it's amazing. I don't I, David, you probably see this, how many primary care physicians have never been um, or aren't even familiar, never been told they can bill that annual well visit. Sure. And that that's a loss of revenue. Didn't know about chronic care management and things like that. So oh, I mean, just crazy primary care alone. There are so many services that you can add to build top line revenue. It's mind boggling. It is. It is. So we really want to be able to help you with that. So make sure you you are aware of, of what you can bring into your practice, which leads me to my last comment here. So lastly, besides revenue, what does really hiring or engaging in an exter external and experienced healthcare consultant do for a practice for long-term success? I know you and I both have uh, clients that we've had for 25 plus years and, you know, they really 
once they find you, they, they really don't want to leave. So what would you say about that? Well, my comment would be is um, a consultant that is truly good at what they do in every aspect. They're going to be a positive force for your practice. They're going to help you increase revenue. They're going to help you increase the bottom line. They're going to help you achieve your goals. Now, as long as those goals are realistic, a good consultant will be able to tell you whether your goals are realistic. If I get a primary care provider that says, I want to start up a practice and I want to make a half a million a year, I'm going to tell them, well, that's probably possible, but you're going to have to run the most efficient primary care practice that's ever been run to make that kind of money. Um, you can make an awful lot of money as a PCP, but you have to be willing to do what's needed in order to get there. So if that's your goal, then you need to be realistic about it. Make sure that somebody knows or has experience that's setting up that type of practice. And what, basically, they can communicate all this to you. The question or the comment that you made about the physician that you know was expecting to make this kind of money well, you build a proforma that's going to literally build, be your crystal ball, your roadmap that's going to take you exactly where you want to go. That proforma tells you whether you can achieve it or not. And if it can't be achieved, the proforma is not going to communicate that based on realistic, valid data and information. So you build that crystal ball. I always tell everybody, we build you that yellow brick road. All you have to do is follow it and you will achieve the success you want. But again, it all has to be realistic based on the specialty and based on everything that you intend to do. And it's very easy to figure that out and determine whether you will be successful or not. And then you have that pro forma to benchmark against in order to ensure that you're making the right decisions and moving in the proper direction. And that is a great way to kind of wrap things up. But I also, you mentioned something that I thought was great. And, you know, when I was talking about and just giving your intro, for example, and your bio, one of the things, and I really want to bring this um, up to our listeners, one of the things at the NICHBC that we really, we really pride ourselves in is the fact that we have references and resources. So, for example, a lot of the things that David mentioned that he does, facility management, startups, buy-ins, you know, um, practice, financial modeling, I actually do not do. I wouldn't cover that. But I have a resource, David Zetter, or one of our other consultants that I can go to to make sure that my clients are happy. You know, I provide you know, things like audits and internal audits and coding and billing and reimbursement um, education. So we do have our personal expertise in what we do, but we also have just a wealth of options to be able to bring that to your practice. So when you're looking for an experienced healthcare consultant, the society has that experience for you. So we just want to make sure we put that out there so that you're aware of that. So today, David, I just want to thank you for your expertise and your insight today. I want to remind our listeners that the NSCHBC annual conference is virtual this year and will be held June 2nd through June 4th. 
8 to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, all three days. You can register at the nschbc.org and also check out our topics of discussion. So that's it for us today, folks. Please join us next month, June 11th, when my guest will be NSCHBC member and billing company owner, Cindy Walker, discussing the pros and cons of keeping our billing in-house or outsourcing it. You don't want to miss it. So everyone, make it a great day, a great rest of your month, and thank you for listening to the NSCHBC Edge podcast. Thank you for listening to the NSCHBC Edge podcast. Join us on the second Tuesday of each month as our consultants tackle the complexities of navigating the business of medicine. You can reach us on the web at nschbc.org, the National Society of Certified Healthcare Business Consultants.